Today on Not Sam Wrestling, what is going on between L.A. Knight and Paul Heyman? We have to take a second to appreciate Samoa Joe once again. The Miz fights an invisible John Cena, and Jimmy Uso is in, but is he in? This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh, man. Thank you all for being here. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling 464, if I'm not mistaken. Going long, going strong, and... So much to talk about. The era that we're in, they we, they always give us a full plate here on Not Sam Wrestling of, of, of breakdown of what is going on in the immediacy when it comes to the world of professional wrestling and every now and then adding a little bit of historical context to all of it. So, welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. It was a, it was a busy weekend for me. On the on the on the wrestling front, if my voice isn't quite up to par this week, I know normally it's far beyond par. But if you if you can sense any waning in my vocal cords, it's because it was a hell of a live wrestling weekend. On Friday, I went over to the Westchester County Center and I got to watch Victory Road live Impact Wrestling. Saw the stars of Impact Wrestling show up. And show out PCO versus Bully Ray, Deanna Perrazzo versus a returning Jordan Grace, Steve Macklin. I mean, everybody, everybody was there. And it was a really, it was a great show. White Plains showed up for it. Uh, and it was like uh, Brian Myers and I talked about versus Josh Alexander, by the way. I just realized I said Steve Macklin. I didn't say versus Josh Alexander. It was the main event of the show. Props and respect due to the walking weapon, Josh Alexander. Uh, but uh, it was great to see so many wrestling fans uh, in White Plains show up at the Westchester County Center. And the house, I think, was even bigger the next night when they ran uh, Impact 1000. I was not there because I had another live event wrestling spectacular to go to, which I'll talk about in a second. But Impact shows are so fun to be at because they pack these crowds into concentrated areas, right? The number of people they have, they know more or less how many people are coming, right? So they pack everybody in to this concentrated area around the ring. All the seats are good. They fill it with production value. They like the ring. They have great wrestling matches. It's a variety show, right? You had uh, 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 Trinity defending the uh, knockouts championship. And that's one kind of women's match. But then you have Deanna Perrazzo and Jordan Grace just slugging it out, almost like Miro and Powerhouse Hobbs were at All Out, just like two female powerhouses going at it. You have uh, a Bully Ray and PCO going old-school hardcore match with the tables and the garbage cans and the ladders. And then you have Steve Macklin and Josh Alexander just leaving everything in the ring. They brought back Ultimate X, uh, uh, for Impact 1000, but they also had Leo Rush uh, on the Friday show at Victory Road. So it's, it's just such a, a great variety of everything you want out of a wrestling show. And 
I just get the sense when I'm there that the people putting on the show, from the wrestlers that are in the ring to the crew to just everybody, there is there's an investment. There, everybody believes in the product that they're putting on. And that permeates. That when you leave a show and you just feel like the people who put the show on believe in the product that they just sold you, it goes further than I think people even realize. It's this unsaid thing where you're like, I don't know, there was something about it, but it was just cool to see everybody show up for it. Tons of people buying merch. It was it was a fun night at the matches. Then on Saturday, I had a second fun night at the matches because I made the drive out to the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island where WWE was doing a live event. Their Saturday night's main event, you know, Saturday show where uh, it was uh, Cody Rhodes and Finn Balor in the main event in, a, I guess, a Long Island street fight. I saw him a few months ago have a White Plains street fight, Long Island street fight. And you know we were there and representing properly, right? Whether it was uh, uh, Cody and Finn Balor, whether it was Johnny Gargano making a return, Amos, the giant Amos, which, by the way, if Omas is at a live event, that enough is worth the price of admission. Just seeing this mass of humanity from floor to ceiling in person is incredible. But Omas versus Johnny Gargano, good to see Johnny Gargano back in the ring. Uh, Charlotte versus Asuka, they threw down uh, a lot of a lot of really good stuff. Uh, uh, mixed tag, LWO uh, versus Hit Row, a ton of stuff but we represented properly because we showed up, we booed the bad guys. You could see it on Finn Balor's social media. He approached the ring and what did he see in the front row? He looked over, he saw the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, thumbs down. Why? He's a villain. When we go and we watch live, we boo the bad guys. We cheer the good guys. Austin Theory versus LA Knight. It's not a mystery who's getting booed and who's getting cheered. I don't care if you're like, wow, yeah, but I know I'm a smart fan. I know the work rate on that. Get out of here. Get out of here. If you're going to a wrestling show and it's Austin Theory versus LA Knight, there's only one thing you do. You cheer LA Knight, you boo Austin Theory. That's what you do. Don't you, too cool for the room guy? No, we boo the bad guys. And that's what we did all Saturday night long in Long Island. Again, another packed show of people coming out to see the WWE, buy-in merch, you know, LA night shirts moving like crazy, of course. I got one for a friend, Robert Kelly, the comedian, had me pick him up an LA night shirt, last XL. No more, sorry, if you went to grab one and they said there were no more, I did that. It's what I do. Um, but it was a great, great weekend uh, for me, but a great week in general for all of us because... So much is going on. So the Bloodline storyline is in a very interesting place because while I think there are some that doubt it, some that believe it's losing steam, some that believe it's getting watered down, I think that in reality, we've just entered a phase where the Bloodline became such this like force that was so much bigger than anything else on television, that especially while Roman Reigns isn't on TV, the best thing that you can do is splinter that sucker. And while you're not specifically 
putting the time in every single week, building to a specific bloodline match. Let's spread the elements out and sprinkle a little bloodline dust across every story that we possibly can. Well, how do you do that? Well, we'll start with Cody Rhodes showing up on the Grayson Waller effect at payback and saying that he politicked his way into getting Jey Uso traded to uh, to Raw from SmackDown. So Jey Uso shows up on Raw this week, and I think that I didn't realize beforehand, but in hindsight, when you look at it, when you look at the beginning of Raw and Jey Uso coming out, and he's and he's got his new Jey Uso remix, but it's still like down since, yeah, but it's different lyrics. It's just for Jey. It's great, but Jey coming out through the crowd and just a sea of people, right along with Jey. And I think that that a thing happened where you've now separated. And I've been a long-standing advocate of doing this if you've got the two brands if you really want to have the audience look at a superstar differently in some cases moving them to another roster and adjusting their personality is the move to make this is why i've said this about la night when we were first talking about how do you kind of make the shift into him being a baby face versus a heel which they've done perfectly by the way but i said you know you trade him over to raw and you just have him start rivalries with bad guys on Raw because it's it's there's just this feeling of a fresh coat of paint. And that's what I think happened with Jey Uso. I think the minute Jey Uso showed up on Raw as this new superstar traded over there, that his stock immediately went up. And you could feel that with his promo. You could feel that with the reaction. There wasn't this thing where on SmackDown, no matter how high up Jey Uso got, he existed within the bubble of the bloodline story that's on SmackDown. Well, now that story didn't follow him over to Raw, meaning the the principal players of that story. The story still remains, but those principal players didn't follow him over to Raw. So now we really can tell this Jey Uso story. We have Sami Zayn come out, and there's this moment between Sami and Jey Uso, and everybody's waiting for it, and they're happy to see it, and this is great. Jey Uso is a good guy again, but... Sami Zayn points out a lot of people not happy that Jey Uso is in the Raw locker room. And we get that that vibe of, of when the NWO came in. And WWE superstars in a very real way weren't necessarily happy that Hogan Hall and Nash were coming back to WWE, even though they might be ratings draws. They've, they've in real life and in storyline, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And we've got our own thing going on here. Some people in AEW felt that way about CM Punk. Now it enters in to storyline where you've got this guy who was a key member of the bloodline, a faction that has spent the last two years just wrecking everybody, just destroying everybody in their path to greatness. Well, now he doesn't have the bloodline. Now he doesn't have all those people around him. And he's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And, and and not only are they making a storyline about that, but also it's going to go even further because Adam Pierce said, hey, Jay, just so you know, whoever's not mad at you now could be mad at you again because we owe SmackDown talent. SmackDown is going to 
get talent in trade for you. It wasn't just, hey, can we get Jay? Yeah, take him. It was, yeah, but you owe us one now. And so immediately, that's where the conversation goes. Who from Raw is going over to SmackDown? And Cody is the name that came up right away. And I think that people choose Cody because we're at a point now where what else would you do with Cody? There aren't really villains on Raw at the moment. See, like, because Cody dealt with some of the villains already, right? He's he's dealt with The Miz in the past, even though Seth's not a villain. He had his whole thing with Seth. But the fact that Cody has beaten Seth three times, the fact that Cody has won the Royal Rumble, the fact that Cody has gone to WrestleMania to face Roman Reigns, he's now beaten Brock Lesnar. Well, then who does that opponent end up being for Cody? And it's almost like you go, well, probably the most dominant villains on Raw are the Judgment Day at the moment. You know, I think Shinsuke Nakamura is being built up to be part of that conversation, but probably the Judgment Day. Cody isn't going to lose to people, <laughs> generally speaking, right? Like, that's what makes the Roman victory at WrestleMania such a big deal, that ultimately Cody wins. That's the story of Cody, except against Roman. So, you you can't create new supervillains just to have them lose to Cody because then you're going to end up with a Raw that doesn't have any good villains. Furthermore, Seth is, is the champion of Monday Night Raw. Seth has the World Heavyweight Championship, but Cody's the biggest star in the brand. You can't have Cody going after the World Heavyweight Championship because he wants the WWE Championship. So... Maybe the easiest thing to do would be to bring him over to SmackDown. He could mix it up with a with a Karrion Cross to start. He could mix it up with whoever. You know what I mean? On his way. Maybe he goes back to the bloodline. Maybe he's mixing it up with Solo. You figure out somebody for him to mix it up with. But then that doesn't answer the question. Unless he wanted to get traded to SmackDown for some reason. Unless there's somebody on SmackDown, and that could be the story, right? Because we don't know why Cody put himself out there to get Jay to come to Raw. He said, I hope I'm not making a mistake. He did this. Why? I don't know. Is it because he wants Jay on his side? Does he have something in mind? Or is it because he offered himself to get traded to SmackDown because there's somebody on SmackDown that he wants to get his hands on? Don't know. But I'm assuming within the next few weeks we'll find out because over on SmackDown, while we didn't get a new member of the roster. We did get Jimmy telling his story. On Raw, Jay is telling the story of Jay Uso. He's a man on an island. He's figuring it out for himself, but he's a man of honor. And he's uh, trying to be accountable for what he did in the past and changing his ways. Jimmy is going the complete opposite route. Jimmy is now on SmackDown with his own music, and even though he claimed that the reason that he kicked Jay in the face and cost him the match with Roman was for Jay's own good, he's trying to weasel his way back into the bloodline. We see a Jimmy Uso who is in panic mode. He's almost manic. Like, he's acting as if he wasn't the one to turn on Roman. He's acting as if Roman didn't offer him, as Paul Heyman pointed out. 
a mansion and a boat. And he is saying, which, by the way, is true. I never left the bloodline. And I think that that's a key here. Some people are under the impression that, and I don't know why they are, that the bloodline is just kind of now, they're just making it up as they go. Oh, they don't know what they're doing anymore. They're just making it up as they go. That's never been the case of the bloodline. Honestly, in the last several months, it doesn't appear that that's been the case with any WWE storyline. On the way to WrestleMania and since WrestleMania, I don't know one storyline that feels like they're just throwing it together as they go. Everything seems now, and that's why I think they've, one of the reasons why they've been so successful is because they're planning everything out. And the fact that Jimmy is acting like this, the only way he can act like this is if a few months back when he turned on Roman, he made it clear that they weren't leaving the bloodline and that they were ready to forgive Roman Reigns. If he had said, we're out of the bloodline, we're not coming back and we hate Roman Reigns, we don't want anything to do with him, then this storyline would make less sense. But as we're building with this Jimmy Uso, now he's he's trying to convince Paul Heyman that he's back on his side. He's attacking AJ Styles. He's out there with Solo. And at the same time that you have Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa trying to represent for the bloodline on SmackDown, the Judgment Day is now on both Raw and SmackDown because they're the undisputed tag team champions. So, at first, the bloodline has one eye on the Judgment Day, of course, because the Judgment Day is out here talking about how they are the end-all, be-all of factions in the WWE right now, which, of course, you would have to argue is true at this moment. Um, But the bloodline has a problem with the OC, AJ Styles specifically. The Judgment Day also has a problem with the OC and AJ Styles, just not as deep as the bloodline. So now at the end of SmackDown, they align with the bloodline. However, throughout this episode of SmackDown, you see that not only does the Judgment Day have this weird problem with the OC, but they are fighting with the brawling brutes. Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits, which they're good guys, I would say that we're pretty much confirmed as of now, that's a babyface team. Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits don't like the Judgment Day declaring that they're overly dominant. Pretty Deadly is watching all of this happen from a wheelchair, and it's all coming into place. So you've got this scenario on SmackDown where you've got you've got the, the, the Bloodline and the Judgment Day and the Brawling Brutes and Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits and AJ Styles in the OC, and Pretty Deadly, and they're all interwoven into this wild storyline where you can kind of see what might happen, but you don't know which elements actually will, and you certainly don't know when they will happen. As we're watching all of this, so so as I'm watching Jimmy right now, part of me wonders if, because you can't just have Jimmy, like, get accepted back into the bloodline and then turn on the bloodline and go like, see, I was on Jay's team the whole time. Because then it still doesn't explain why Jimmy turned on Jay at the SummerSlam match, which I think people are, there are a a, a large group of people that are still waiting for an explanation as to why that happened. That hasn't been satisfied yet. And that's, I don't, 
disagree with that sentiment. I disagree with the sentiment that it won't be satisfied. I think that they've earned in this story uh, faith in respect that, that, that everything else, for the most part, has been paid off. So the idea that this certainly won't get paid off, I think is a bad faith argument. But the idea that it hasn't yet been fully paid off, I think is totally fair. Um, I feel like Jimmy is on a path right now that by the time Roman comes back, he may have found himself in the J position. He may be that new Jey Uso. He never had to deal with that. Now he's the one, the one, we the ones. He's the one that's going to have to prove his loyalty, that's going to have the psychological games played with him. But Jimmy seems more crazy than Jay. So he's much more prone to snap because he's turned on just about everybody imaginable throughout this process. Um, however, I do think, I think that we're planting seeds now for what will be Survivor Series. I think we've got uh, uh, Fastlane, I want to say, in the beginning of October, so probably three, four weeks from now, probably about three. And then you've got, uh, I think you got a Saudi pay-per-view at the beginning of November and then Survivor Series. So as I said last week, I don't think that we'll have John Cena for Survivor Series. As of now, Let's say we've got him for this month and next month, which means that the cutoff will probably be the Saudi pay-per-view if it happens in early November. So the, I, I think what you've got to look at is the fact that all of the stories WWE is telling, there was a time when WWE would go, oh, War Games is in three weeks. Let's start putting the stories together. And now it's not a good time. That's a dumb thing to do. War Games is a complicated match. Because conceptually, I think a lot of people like it. But if you don't have a great story going into war games, if there's not a reason these two teams are facing each other, it can be a disaster. I think war games was a pillar moment for the bloodline last year. That war games match was one of the best war games matches ever, specifically because of the drama around the end. I think that, that we are looking at a fall where we're trying to figure out what is going on here. And I think war games is gonna be a major moment for the bloodline. I think that there's a reason though that, I, I think that there's a good possibility that it'll be a co-branded war games match. I don't think it'll be nearly as cut and dry as last year where it's just like, well, it's the bloodline versus top five baby faces because the bloodline is the bloodline is the bloodline is the bloodline because the bloodline is not necessarily the bloodline anymore. As Paul Heyman said, Jimmy Uso is in, but he's not in. So I think that the, the, the final test for Jimmy will probably be war games. And I think that that will be very poetic because the final test for Sami Zayn was war games. I think that a year removed, we'll see Jimmy trying to prove himself the way Sammy was. But I think at war games, and there's a million ways you could go with this. As I just said, all the different elements happening on SmackDown and Raw involving key components of Bloodline members, we could talk about a potential war games match now for hours and hours and hours. 
But I think that with all the factions at play, it's safe to assume that we will see war games again at Survivor Series in Chicago. So today, right now, as I speak to you, for me, the war games match, I think, I think that that's where this all culminates, right? I think that uh, that when we get to Fastlane, I would probably say maybe a, 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 a Judgment Day Street Profits or three-on-three three Judgment Day versus Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits proposition. I think that that is something that you key in on now getting to Survivor Series. I think that that AJ, and maybe it's maybe you have uh, uh, AJ versus Jimmy or AJ versus Solo, probably AJ versus Solo, even though we've seen him on SmackDown at Fastlane, because I don't think we're going to get Roman. I don't think we're going to get Roman again until maybe that Saudi pay-per-view. And we could see, I AJ to me, he was at the live event this weekend working with Solo Sokoa. I think the only reason that AJ is so wrapped up in the bloodline right now is because it's headed towards a Roman Reigns versus AJ Styles match. This is one of the matches we haven't had. AJ Styles versus Roman Reigns is one of those, like, well, who's left for Roman Reigns to face? Absolutely 100% AJ Styles. Does it happen in Saudi Arabia or does it happen at Survivor Series? That, to me, is the question, okay? Because for me, I think that you've got enough runway here that Roman doesn't have to be in the War Games match. I think that at Survivor Series, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can do a War Games match involving the Bloodline and have a Roman Reigns singles title defense. In fact, that's probably the way I would do it because you don't have a five-person Bloodline team right now. I would not have Roman captain a team where every single person on that team was not subservient to him. The reason War Games, one of the reasons War Games worked so well last year is because you had Roman sitting in a chair in the shark cage, assigning people to go out. I don't think Roman should lower himself to team captaining anybody that's not part of his literal bloodline, part of his heritage. To me, I think right now, today, your heel war games team is Jimmy Uso, Solo Sokoa, Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Dominic Mysterio. I think that over time, the next two months, the bloodline and the Judgment Day start working together more and more and more. And we don't know if we can trust the Judgment Day to do its right to the bloodline. But Judgment Day keeps helping them. And eventually, Roman gives the nod and allows for it to happen. Jimmy Solo, Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Dominic Mysterio. And I think the good guy team that they face is Jey Uso, Cody Rhodes, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, and the guy that's got everybody saying, L.A. Knight. Yeah. L.A. Knight. It's not, Paul Heyman doesn't do anything accidentally. And on SmackDown this week, 
we saw a confrontation with Paul Heyman and L.A. Knight. Now, last week, you got to pay attention to every detail with this Paul Heyman. He loves telling stories this way these days. He loves making movies. Paul Heyman has gotten to this, to this level where he loves, I think, what he considers elevated storytelling. And last week, during a promo, was it last week or the week before? It was last week. During a promo with Kaler, whatever it was, he just randomly threw in that L.A. Knight sucked. He's a flash in the pan. L.A. Knight. And he moved on. But it's like, why was Paul Heyman mocking L.A. Knight? Like, there's so many people on the roster that have nothing to do with the bloodline. Why is Paul Heyman mocking L.A. Knight? And then this week on SmackDown, he goes, oh, I'm a fan, Mr. Knight. Let me introduce myself. And it was great. It was a great segment because it, great segment, because at first I'm going, oh, this could be interesting because seeds that are being planted here are, imagine a world where LA Knight turns heel once again and is managed by Paul Heyman. Imagine Paul doing for LA Knight what he did for Roman Reigns, what he did for CM Punk, what he did for Brock Lesnar. Right, this isn't like a, a Cesaro or 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 Michael McGillicuddy or one of those scenarios. This is like, yeah, yeah. L.A. Knight truly is evil, and and you know this because Paul Heyman is in his corner. But I don't. Th- I think we're pretty far away from that, and I don't think that's happening. Especially because just as I was thinking, imagine the possibilities. He goes a step further and he gets right in LA Knight's face and he goes, let me give you a little piece of advice. When I am talking, you do not interrupt me. Like really talking down to LA Knight and really building some tension with LA Knight. And I don't think that that's done accidentally. I think they were planting seeds again. Am I telling you that fast lane, it's gonna be LA Knight versus Solo Sokoa? Absolutely not, because we're not there yet. I still go by my original plan of putting LA Knight and John Cena on a tag team together at some point, but I do think that LA Knight will get put into the bloodline story because I think a lot of what's going on with LA Knight right now is they're testing the water to how far fans will go. I think that historically in WWE, they've been afraid to pull the trigger on certain acts because fans can be fickle, right? And just because they're going crazy for you this week doesn't mean that a month from now, they're still gonna go crazy. There are plenty of examples of people going crazy for a superstar. And then when the WWE gets behind them, people cool on them. And that's not necessarily the fans' fault. You know, that might be because the the storyline didn't work anymore. They ruined it. That's happened before. Or it might be because the fans don't feel that it's organic anymore. So I think that they're, and again, this is this new regime. This is this new way of, of WWE doing things, which is similar to maybe how they used to do it way back in the day. And it worked. And it worked then and it works now. I think putting LA Knight against standard Heels. You have some standard heels in WWE. They follow a heel formula. They're going to get booed in every building that they go in. They can lose all the time. It doesn't matter. The Miz is the king. Austin Theory is next. 
And Grayson Waller is following in those footsteps. So that's why you see LA Knight paired up with The Miz because The Miz is excellent and because he is the quintessential bad guy for LA Knight to face. Who's he facing on SmackDown? Austin Theory. Who's he cutting promos on? Grayson Waller. It's like this way we can see if we can grow LA Knight and it still feels natural. I think that LA Knight will be inserted into this bloodline story slowly because it'd be interesting to see if LA Knight gets to a level where he could be an opponent for Roman Reigns. And I think that that putting him in the War Games match just makes the most sense in the world, especially if Roman isn't in there. You have LA Knight now not paired off with your standard villains. You have LA Knight paired off against your top villains. You have LA Knight in there with Finn Balor, with Dominic Mysterio, with Damian Priest, with Jimmy Uso, with Solo Sokoa. Now, does he keep that baby face-ishness, right? Cody Rhodes, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, those are top good guys. Those are guys that are just top of their game. Nobody can shake them. They know what to do in every scenario, and they keep the crowd with them. Jey Uso is right up there. He hasn't had a lot of experience as a solo top babyface act. The other three are, are, are playing on this level right now, the likes of which we haven't seen in a very long time. So if we're now pairing LA Knight with them and putting him with top villains, now it's like, okay, what do we really have with this LA Knight? And if he succeeds there, which he very well might, and there's no reason to think he won't, then it's time to say, okay, do we want to try this? Maybe at the Royal Rumble, instead of having LA Knight win the Rumble, which some people would love to see, do we want to go to the Royal Rumble with LA Knight versus Roman Reigns? Right? He's got to face somebody at that pay-per-view. Well, I guess he doesn't have to. Do we want to do it? Well, he crushed it at War Games. Let's, let's do it. So that's why I think adding LA Knight as the fifth member of this babyface team at War Games only makes sense. And uh, yeah, I love the interaction with Paul Heyman on SmackDown. Uh, I thought, <laughs> first of all, Paul Heyman using Siri is like the greatest uh, uh, layer on that cell phone gimmick since he started using that cell phone. You know, Paul Heyman, late 80s, going into the or early 90s, he was, as no, the, his brick phone became as famous as he was. He didn't go anywhere without that phone. Now the idea that, you know, we've upgraded. We're in 2023, everybody's got a phone. But Paul Heyman is putting it to his mouth and telling it to call Roman Reigns. It's like, of course Paul Heyman is the guy who uses voice commands to make his phone calls. It's so annoying. But of course he's that guy in a public place. I love that. And I also... Uh, shout out to uh, L.A. Knight for uh, saying, well, if I was a complete idiot, I'd say the adjective there is uh, is play. I'm like, oh, okay. He finally got that receipt on Kevin Nash. He finally, I'm the biggest Kevin Nash fan in the world. 1995, this young man was running on diesel power. 1996, 1997, Big Sexy was my favorite member of the NWO by far. Now, 
Kevin Nash is right up there with the top podcasters in all the world. I wasn't a big fan of the CM Punk run, Kevin Nash. That version of Kevin Nash wasn't my guy. But when he returned at the Royal Rumble as Diesel, oh my God, I was in heaven. But I do love when somebody gets a little receipt ski. I One day I want to interview LA Knight, sit him down here in the Not Sam studio. Because one of the things that I find fascinating about LA Knight is he listens to what everybody says about him. And he doesn't forget a thing. I have listened to so many LA Knight interviews where he's like, no, I know what you said. I remember sitting at WrestleMania weekend and sitting in on Busted Open and hosting the show with them. And LA Knight remembered exactly what Mark Henry had said about him. He knew. He hears it all, all. I kind of love that. It's a level of pettiness, but I think it's a healthy pettiness. And I think it actually works with his gimmick too. It just adds to that chip on his shoulder. And if I haven't, expressed it enough. If you can go back and watch one segment this week, The Miz fighting invisible John Cena, The Miz fighting you can't see me John Cena was as good TV as you're going to get. Stu the cameraman following invisible John Cena out to the ring. Whoever's idea that was was brilliant. And Stu is a genius for being able to pull it off the way that he pulled it off, just knowing his steps. And then having The Miz actually do his moves, almost break out of it, and then boom, skull-crushing finale. Brilliant. The Miz is so underrated, so good. I I wonder at what point we will all realize how incredible The Miz is. There's going to be a break point. We almost got there when he had his run as the Intercontinental Champion, the Talking Smack era, but then they kind of cooled The Miz down for whatever reason. I will never understand it. But at some point, we're all going to figure out how great The Miz is. And there's going to be this wave of appreciation for The Miz. And I I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see it. Uh, speaking of what I cannot wait to see, before we move on to the next topic, uh, the Not Sam Merch store is back open. As you've noticed, I'm sure, we got a, a, our autumn logo out. Brand new logo for the Not Sam Wrestling Podcast. And the Not Sam store has been reopened. Now, uh, I, I like to do these limited, very limited merch drops. Uh, I, I don't do direct-to-garment printing. I don't do any of that stuff. I work with a, a screen printer. We design beautiful logos together. We pick out the very best garments from the Comfort Colors t-shirts and now hoodies. Comfort Colors does hoodies and crew neck sweatshirts as well, independent trading company, sweatpants, all of it is available. We've got t-shirts, long sleeves, tees, crew neck sweatshirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, all of them with the new Not Sam Wrestling logo. All of them remind you to watch the product. Some of you have already figured out what the t-shirt is a reference to in terms of font. I'll let you have fun with that, but all of you, should check out the store right now. It's at notsamshirts.com. If you go to notsamshirts.com, it'll take you to the Not Sam store. You've got two weeks from the time the store opens to purchase these items. The Not Sam Watch the Product Fall line is available for 14 days only. You go to the site, order your stuff. We will make what is ordered, and that's it. So if you're looking at stuff and you like it at all, make sure that you click on it. Make sure that you order. The quality is high. The margins are slim. 
and uh, 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 I think you should all check it out. I think you'll you'll love what we have to offer, and you'll regret it if you don't pick it up. NotSamShirts.com is the place to go. Before we move on uh, to uh, some of the stuff that was going on on Collision, I do want to point out a couple of things. Uh, first of all, props to Gunther. Gunther beating the Honky Talk Man's record, which, by the way, records can be a dangerous thing because luckily Gunther is the man, so he doesn't have to worry about this as much because he's Gunther. But you go, Gunther just just beat the record as the longest running intercontinental champion of all time. And then you go, oh, who had the record before him? Well, it was Honky Tonk Man, but it was a different time. You're like, Honky Tonk Man? It wasn't like Randy Savage or Ricky Steamboat or Bret Hart or Sean. No, it was Honky Tonk Man. But Honky Tonk Man was the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. Look, Gunther uh, has set a new bar for that intercontinental championship and set a new standard for really what matches can look like in the WWE, uh, uh, Chad Gable stepping up to the plate in ways that I think fans of his, like I am, knew that he always could, but he never got the opportunity to do it. He gets the opportunity, he seizes upon that opportunity and puts on the performance of a lifetime in that Monday Night Raw main event. There was no questioning after that match why that was the main event. His children are in the front row crying like they're Noel and Dewey Foley and beyond the mat. They can't believe their dad has not won the Intercontinental Championship, but children or no children in the front row, nobody beats Gunther. And so you wonder when or if it's ever gonna happen. You know, I, I, I almost feel like you leave the title on him until until Cody's champion and he becomes Cody's first challenger. Um, I don't know, but they're onto something. These records that they're setting, they got between the credibility that Sammy and KO and the Usos before them put on the undisputed tag team championship. Roman Reigns' historic run as universal champion. Gunther's historic run as intercontinental champion. Rhea Ripley being just a force to be reckoned with as the women's world champion. They have some some real champions here. And it's it's very cool. And I mean, I think that that goes back to Triple H being a traditionalist and somebody who really values titles and championships. Um, it's a good thing. And, and speaking of champions, uh, you know, Charlotte Flair is a good guy. Charlotte Flair is, uh, is a baby face. She's a, she's a fan favorite, as it were. And she hasn't been uh, before now. Well, she, I mean, not ever, but recently she wasn't. Because she's the queen. And it, it's hard. As I said about Cody, which is why I thought Cody should always lose WrestleMania, it is difficult as a good guy to be rooted for when you win everything and get all the opportunities. And I think that that's the thing with Charlotte. I think that... that when she portrays a heel, people believe it. And so when she starts portraying a baby face, people still see the heel. Like it's, it, they'll cheer for her because she's a star, but it's she does the littlest thing in the ring and the audience is ready to be like, oh, that's right, we boo Charlotte. This is what we do. She's a villain. I think that, that Charlotte uh, Flair needs to have a level of, of depth added to her character. And I think that, that, that it wouldn't be that tough to do. I think Charlotte is an incredibly 
Ashley Flair, I should say, is an incredibly interesting person. Uh, in my experience, Ashley Flair is very similar to what we've come to know Ric Flair as through his documentaries and interviews, which is somebody that's complicated, somebody that, that really values their performance, somebody that has incredible insecurities, no matter what levels of success that they get, and somebody who's on this quest to constantly be better, but also really wants that recognition. And I think that when you look at those traits from a human perspective, they're all things that we can relate to. All of those traits are traits that can make a baby face. But what you can't do is say, I deserve this because I'm better than everybody else. Even if it's true, you can't root for that attitude. And it came to me that if you've seen the show Wednesday Adams on Netflix, it, it, one, of the, it, one of the charming parts of that show is the uh, odd coupling of Wednesday Adams and her roommate in this boarding school that she goes to. Wednesday Adams shows up. She's got her black hair. She's got her black dress. She's doing the weird dances with her hands, hands, hands. She's got her, her thing. You know, thing is there. Just, just crawling around everywhere. It's a severed hand that just talks to her. It's incredible. But her roommate there is this blonde who loves colorful stuff and pink and is a girly girl and it's the complete opposite of Wednesday Adams. It's everything that Wednesday should hate. But they develop this friendship and it makes you like the relationship and it makes you like both of them more. It also allows you to understand where Wednesday is coming from and maybe why she's got that attitude that she has. All of a sudden, this attitude that should be credited to a baby, uh, to a heel is credited to a baby face. Watch the show. Wednesday Adams is a baby face. And not that it has to be done with Shotzi, but it did occur to me with Shotzi. I think somebody even posted a meme and maybe that's where it got, where the wheels started spinning. Maybe the wheels were already spinning and I saw the meme and it just kept them spinning quicker. I don't know. But Shotzi and Charlotte together was this sort of odd coupling that I don't think was really like, uh, they, did, they didn't really uh, uh, play on that at all. That, that Shotzi is this like lunatic, metalhead, tattooed lady who loves horror movies and violence and driving tanks and just going nuts. Whereas Charlotte is this much more, is this regal champion athlete that, that wants the red carpet rolled out for her. It's two totally separate ways of life. But if you could watch the journey of these two getting along, I think all of a sudden we would start to love Charlotte. I think, I think what you have to do with Charlotte is get her way out of the title picture. I think that, 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 that it would do Charlotte, the WWE, everybody involved, a world of good if instead of having Charlotte mixed up with the title picture, because you got enough going on with the title picture, right? We're, we're going towards Io Shirai or Io Sky versus Asuka. Bianca Belair at some point is going to show up again. You know, who knows if Becky Lynch is going to move over to SmackDown. She's going over to NXT to fight Tiffany Stratton. I mean, who knows? But they're, they're, like the, the women's roster has enough people on it. And it could be good to elevate people that are on it. 
I think if Charlotte just started doing stuff that was fun and started doing stuff that made people happy, like teaming with Shotzi, like, you know, just doing human stuff. And we got to see Charlotte laugh and we got to see Charlotte feel uncomfortable but still go ahead and do it and get there gradually, right? Like, I would never do that. Okay, I'll do that. Okay, this is actually kind of fun. Then all of a sudden, Charlotte goes way out of her comfort zone and she becomes endearing. I think that at this point in her career, it would be great if they could figure out a way to make Charlotte Flair an endearing personality. I think that, that, that fans at this point would respond to it in a very big way. She's got the star power. Now, I think it's time for her to be relatable. I think that that will translate her story so much more if if that's the direction that things went in. Um, and another, well, you know what really made me think of that? I'm watching Collision this week and Jade Cargill returns, right? And Jade Cargill comes out and she, and she comes out on her, on her quest for that TBS championship. And she, and, she, and she takes out Chris Statlander, and we think she's going to shake her hand. She slams her to the mat. She holds that title over her. And all I could think about was, can you imagine one day how cool it would be to see Jade Cargill and Charlotte Flair in the ring together? Can you imagine what that would look like? And this is why I feel like if that were to happen, Charlotte Flair being somebody that fans could really get behind and that fans could relate to and showing vulnerability and having Jade Cargill at some point, whenever her contract is up, whatever, we don't do contracts here. Having Jade Cargill show up as like the new head chick here to rip Charlotte away from her throne, right? Like Charlotte has become vulnerable. Charlotte has become human. But everything that Charlotte used to be, everything that Charlotte, that made Charlotte a villain, but also made her successful, all those traits are possessed by Jade Cargill or somebody like Jade Cargill. So now Charlotte has, 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 has changed and has dropped the killer instinct and replaced it with vulnerability. And somebody has found that killer instinct and has all the physical traits that Charlotte has. So they're gonna take advantage of the fact that, Char that Charlotte is now vulnerable. Can Charlotte find that thing within to conquer the beast that she used to be? Right, because if, if Charlotte is, is a true good guy, that is the quandary that she will eventually find herself in, that she's given up some of the superpowers that made her a villain to be this human. But now it's like Superman. Superman gave up his superpowers. Well, guess what? Now the villains are coming in that have superpowers and we're gonna take full advantage of that. How does Superman function? How does Charlotte function? How does she juggle having a personal life, right? I think it's all there or or you go the other route and you have Charlotte build up fan support, build up fan support, build up fan support. And eventually she just decides to go back to her villainous ways. She breaks everyone's heart and she's a monster heel. Either direction, you'll be absolutely fine in. 
But I think that that in order to get there, that's where you have to start. Um, speaking of Jade Cargill and coming back on Collision, which I thought was great, I'm a big Jade Cargill fan. I also realized something because I'm a collider, so I'm watching Collision. I think Collision is a great show. I, I, I'm I'm a big fan of 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 Collision as a wrestling show. Um, but I'm watching Collision, and I see Samoa Joe, and footage of him at Wembley in the entrance, you know, in the opening, I should say, and. I'm like, good for Samoa Joe. He's being featured because they go, well, now that we've lost Punk, who can we replace him with? And and it looks to me like the decision right now is to focus on Samoa Joe and Brian Danielson. Now, Brian Danielson comes out and, and has this uh, amazing promo. Look, Brian Danielson is in my conversation for best, favorite, I should say, my favorite wrestler of, of all time. I don't think there's many people, when you look at full careers and how they've made me feel and, and how long I've been a fan of them throughout all incarnations of who they are, there's not that many people that hold a candle to what Brian Danielson does and is capable of. And when you look at, at, at people that are good at every aspect of wrestling, there's not that many people that have the skill sets that Brian Danielson does. He's great at being a GM. He was great at hosting Talking Smack. He does great promos that make you believe him. And then, oh, he has the best wrestling matches in the world. I can't think of almost anybody that just has everything that Brian Danielson does. And then you hear him talk off camera. And as it turns out, he has a deep love for professional wrestling the way we all do. And it's like, how do you not love this dude? How do you not root for him every step of the way? And another guy that I feel that way about is Samoa Joe. Because Samoa Joe steps up. And we'll talk more about Brian Danielson, by the way, um, as the weeks go on. Because I, I did hear him, you know, he's talking about this could be the last year of his career. I don't believe that for a, a second. There's no way that Brian Danielson will give this up. But Samoa Joe is amazing. Because... Uh, Samoa Joe now finds himself as one of the key featured top acts on Collision while at the same time is one of the key names in this world title, if not the key name, along with Roderick Strong, I would argue, in this world title tournament that is building towards a match at one of AEW's biggest television shows, which is the Arthur Arthur Ashe Stadium show. But he's also a key component of the next big rivalry with their top guy, their world champion, MJF, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. So I'm looking at Samoa Joe and I go, this guy was brought in to be in Ring of Honor. And he's a top guy again. And then I realized this is the story of Samoa Joe's career. You want to you wanna find an example of somebody who's just like, you know what? I'm not going to politic for it. I'm not going to tell people I want it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to be the best. And I'm going to make it so there's no other choice. That, there, that, that, that it's obvious what has to be done. Because that's what Samoa Joe does. Samoa Joe has this amazing ring of honor and independent career, Right? And the whole time he's there, and people forget. That's why I think it's so important to bring up. Because people forget 
Samoa Joe's journey and the way that some treated him on his journey. Because he doesn't bring it up. He's just like, nah, nah, you know what, homie? I think I'm just going to go out there and be the best. And then everybody will just have no choice but to acknowledge it. And you're like, I don't know if that'll work. And then he goes out and he does that exact thing. So Samoa Joe has this amazing run in Ring of Honor and on the independence. But the whole time people are like, man, Samoa Joe's great, but he's just not the WWE type. Because when he's starting out, this is just when WWE has taken over the industry. There, there, this whole generation of independent talent, and CM Punk is one of them, and Samoa Joe is one of them. But it's like the next up, guys, because Samoa Joe would have been in ECW immediately. But when ECW and WCW both went out of business, there was an entire generation of guys that were looked at as, yeah, those are there's, there's the independent guys and then there's the WWE guys. It's just a different world. And Samoa Joe was like, no, nah, he'll never be a WWE guy. He'll have good independent matches. That's it. And then TNA starts up and they get Samoa Joe. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Samoa Joe's here. All right, I guess I'll do something in TNA. He becomes a top guy in TNA like nothing, right? Some of his best matches, a match with Kurt Angle, the whole thing. There's still even, but like when Hogan came in, it was still like, we don't really know who this Samoa Joe guy is. I don't know about this. We're going to focus more on these people over here. And eventually you got no choice but to come back to Samoa Joe because he's better than everybody. And then NXT starts to build some steam, right? And TakeOver Brooklyn happens, and, and it's like, oh, NXT is becoming a viable brand. NXT starts going on the road a little bit. Finn Balor's there. Kevin Owens is there. Sami Zayn is there. Bailey's becoming a hit. Sasha Banks is becoming a hit. And they go, okay, how about this? Everybody here right now are training at the Performance Center. Like, when Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, all those people came in, they had to go through Performance Center classes. They had to go and practice roles and do everything that, like, new people had to do. It was a w crazy system. But they go, okay, what if... This is Triple H's idea. He's brilliant. What if we bring in Samoa Joe, but we don't have him go through the PC, and... We have no, he's not there to be called up to the main roster. We bring in Samoa Joe to just boost attendance at live shows so we can play like, you know, 2,000 seat venues. And he can be a main eventer at our takeover shows. So we can, you know, get people excited about them on the WWE network and hopefully get them to come out to an arena for it. Okay, cool. We'd do it for a month. We'd do it for two months. We'd do it for a run. We'd do, okay, let's do it for a year. Okay, let's keep it going. Okay, let's 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 have Samoa Joe be the NXT champion. Okay, let's have it. And all of a sudden, it gets to the point where Samoa Joe is so good on NXT that somebody that was never intended to be brought into WWE's developmental system at all is called up to the main roster. And you're like, oh. And not only is he called up to the main roster, but he gets put in the deep end. Go back to the, go back to, I mean, and this says it all. There was a segment where it was Samoa Joe, Roman Reigns, and Brock Lesnar in the ring together. And Samoa Joe took the spotlight without even trying. 
Samoa Joe squares up with Brock Lesnar. You want to go? You want to go? Like, without an ounce of fear in his eyes. And even though Roman Reigns is standing in the ring, there's nothing in the world that you want more than Samoa Joe versus Brock Lesnar. So now we're at the point where you've got this guy who's brought in to NXT just to sell tickets to live shows and so their developmental guys can get reps. And instead of just being a guy to give developmental guys reps, he's a guy who's main eventing main roster pay-per-views. And okay, I don't know. There are injuries. He gets put on commentary. He does an excellent job on commentary. But for whatever reason, WWE releases him. And then NXT goes, well, we'll pick him up. And he's back at NXT and he's main eventing again. But then he gets released from NXT again. And what happens? Well, AEW goes, you know, we're restarting Ring of Honor. What if we had Samoa Joe and he was like a kind of, he was like a big Ring of Honor guy. I mean, it's literally the same strategy that they had for him in NXT. We'll bring Samoa Joe in and it'll be like a big get for the NXT crowd. AEW is like, we'll bring Samoa Joe in. It'll be like a big get for the Ring of Honor crowd. And what happens within months? Some months go by. Samoa Joe is delivering every time. And you've got no choice but to make him, even though he's literally a Ring of Honor champion, he's the Ring of Honor television champion right now. But that's a side note. Because this guy that you brought in to boost Ring of Honor is now about to be your main event alongside MJF. It's the biggest story in the company because it's Samoa Joe and Samoa Joe of all the wrestlers I've ever seen more than anybody else. Samoa Joe is a, the guy that you just, you can't stop. You cannot, and nobody will ever be able to stop Samoa Joe. He's just an incredibly skilled, incredibly charismatic. Just He's got everything, dude. I'm the biggest Samoa Joe fan in the world. And I love seeing no matter what situation he's in, he's selling water to a whale every single time. And it's easy. It's easy. I'll just go out there and do what I do. Did you see the Samoa Joe versus MJF promo battle? It was like something else. And Samoa Joe has this great way. And that, what I really loved about that MJF Samoa Joe uh, promo battle was that it felt really real. It felt awkward almost at times. Like it wasn't pro wrestling promo back and forth, which I think is great for both of them. And they're both, I mean, so unbelievably good at this. Samoa Joe, it's sick how good he is at this, given the fact that like he's created all of his opportunities. And MJF is like, he's 26 and he's swimming with sharks. Like it's nothing. He is a shark. He's 26, and you put somebody in there with MJF, and they're the ones swimming with sharks. It's an incredible sight to see. But not only did it feel real, but Samoa Joe, when he was attacking MJF, you just believed every bit of it. Like, he was going to rip this guy to shreds. And then when the cavalry came in to help MJF, the speed with which Samoa Joe ducked out of the ring and went, oh, 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 oh. Like, just instantly changing how he felt. It all, like, his instincts are just so good. And he's so good at portraying how he's feeling. He doesn't, he doesn't like, forecast his feelings. Which is tough to do in performance-based, you know, combat. 
that you're always, you always know what the next move is going to be. So if you're looking at somebody's face, you can see, oh, they're ready for the next thing. So when the next thing happens, you see it a second before it's going to happen because they are forecasting it. This doesn't happen with Joe. Even when he walked away from uh, Penta, when he did his he did his walk away after the die, it's so good. I'm just the biggest Samoa Joe fan, and I love seeing history repeat itself and Samoa Joe going right back to the main event of a national, international wrestling company because he's just the best and there's no other option. So great to see. Um, NXT, we'll get to news and notes. And NXT has a couple of stories in there. Of course, uh, Becky Lynch going after uh, Tiffany Stratton. I've got to believe that their first meeting is going to end in some kind of a no contest because I can't believe that Becky Lynch is showing up there to take a dive immediately. And I've got to believe that even if Becky is going to win the title, I mean, maybe Becky's going to win the title on TV and then they're going to do a rematch at pay-per-view because they've got a premium live event at the end of the month. So I've got to believe that there's going to be some kind of rematch that's happening at the end of the month. Um, whether that be because of a no contest or whether that be to rechange the title, I would think it's a no contest, but I'm, I, I think it's going to be great for NXT for the man to get eyes on the product. But I think the real winner in all of this is going to be Tiffany Stratton. I mean, I, I can't imagine how good it's going to be for her to be in the ring with somebody who has gotten as good as Becky Lynch has gotten. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And I'm also, I mean, kudos to NXT. They do this angle to end the show with Braun Breaker and Von Wagner. And Braun Breaker is uh, sandwiching Von Wagner's head, slamming the steel steps into his skull. And they actually turn, they, they go black, which is a great idea because you don't really see that in wrestling anymore. They go black and you're like, what happened, right? What happened? And there's a lot of people who were like, oh, I, the, the USA probably did that. The censors probably did that. And then there's photos that leak online. I think NXT tweeted them out, but, and you see blood on the towels that are wrapped in the bandages that are wrapped in on Von Wagner's head. And then fans in attendance got cell phone video of the stretcher being escorted out of the performance center with Shawn Michaels following behind. There were rumors of there being a panic backstage. And, and this angle has gotten a lot of people talking because many are saying that it went wrong. Even those that are like, look, we know it's an angle, except Braun Breaker made more contact with Von Wagner than he was supposed to, and Von Wagner's really hurt. I mean, I don't know if I buy that, but I do think it's awesome for NXT. Clearly, like, Von Wagner's whole gimmick right now is that when he was a kid, he had, like, surgery on his head or brain surgery or something. So clearly that's all related here. Um, but the fact that there's doubt as to whether or not it was wrestling or real or the fact that there's questions as to whether or not it was wrestling or real is exactly what you want in pro wrestling. So shout out to NXT for everybody talking about this angle. I think it's awesome. I can't wait to see where it goes. And hopefully, I mean, you know, 
Von Wagner's not actually hurt, but the fact that people are talking about whether or not he is actually hurt, I think is generally speaking a good thing. Um, I like that the meat chant is becoming a thing. Although here's what I don't know if I'm ready for, okay? I like that people are chanting meat. I feel like it started at All Out and it's going to continue on, you know, um, I think that I I I I I I think the meat chant is a good thing, and I think it's a big kudos to Big E. He he started something when he started talking about big meaty men slapping meat. It was a it was a clip from the New Day podcast, which was a terrific podcast that went viral and now has changed the course of wrestling history. That now when we see two giant behemoths just slapping skin, that's what it is: meat, 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 meat. And as wrestling fans, what is better than two thick boys just going to town on each other? But what I'm not sure that I'm ready for, I see the C.J. Perry promo on Collision this week. And she says, the former Alana says that she wants to get back into managing. But that, you know, when when Miro became the redeemer, he forsaked or whatever his God and his hot, flexible wife, which is just the best description of anybody. But then she said she wants to get back into managing and acted as if she was hurt by what Miro did to her at All Out. That leads me to believe that she's going to start managing Hobbs and that the rivalry between Hobbs and Miro continues, except CJ is in Hobbs's corner. I don't know if I'm ready for more relationship drama between Miro and CJ and God bless both of them as performers but I think we're all still very scarred from that Bobby Lashley, Lana, Rusev, Liv Morgan weird wedding angle. The segment itself, the angle it's with the segment itself. I think it was great. It was everything you wanted. You got to watch it, but it was uncomfortable as a fan. To see this happen to people that are married in real life, it was extremely uncomfortable, and it didn't really go anywhere. So it left a pretty bad taste, I think, in everybody's mouth. Um, I'm concerned and don't know that I'm ready, if that's where they're going, to see CJ manage Hobbs. I think, I think people like Miro a lot. I think people love the fact that he's married to Lana in real life. I think people love the Rusev character and the Lana character together when they first started and Rusev was driving a tank and Lana was Bridget Nielsen. Like, just put CJ and, and Miro together. You don't need to complicate things. Sometimes we overthink things and it's like, yeah, but nobody will see this coming. And it, it, Well, they don't want to, <laughs> you know? Just Miro and CJ together. The Redeemer with CJ by his side is this like hot, flexible beast of a woman who gets things done for him, that's it. That's the act. Do, do that. Just do that. Don't overthink it. And I think you'd be better off for it. Um, but that's just my opinion. If you want my opinion on any specific issues, of course you know what to do. You got to email notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Don't forget, of course, to pick up your uh, merch at notsamshirts.com. I'm wearing uh, one of the beautiful hoodies right now. Look on the sleeve. Watch the product, okay? Pick them up at notsamshirts.com. Only available for 14 days from the time that it goes live. And it's live right now. So go check out the new merch drop. Um, 
Kyle Robertson walks in, uh, uh, writes in to notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Hey, Sam, who is your favorite comedy wrestler? I don't know. I've never... Uh, I've always had trouble, like, breaking it down into categories like that. I think, like, you know, wrestlers are just wrestlers. And sometimes doing funny stuff works for some characters. Sometimes it doesn't for others. Like, I'd never looked at Colt Cabana, for example, as a comedy wrestler. He's just a wrestler. Like, I don't know. I guess, is Doink the Clown a comedy wrestler because he's a clown? You know, I, I, I have trouble categorizing it like that. So, I mean, I get, if Doink the Clown is a comedy wrestler... Obviously, I love Doink the Clown, but I don't know. You'd have to give me a list of comedy wrestlers and ask me which one is my favorite because it's a weird uh, genrefication to me. Avery writes in, Sam, I don't know if on Raw you've been seeing the mystery skull backstage, but now it's following the Judgment Day, and this past week it had a Rey Mysterio mask on it. It's also important to note that there was also a crate that had JD written on it, but I think it's McDonough, not Judgment Day. What do you think? Is JD replacing Dom Dom? No, I think, you know, I think the uh, White Rabbit stuff uh, was so detailed that some of us start looking at stuff with more intention than there actually is. You know, I, I think, uh, I don't think the skull thing actually might not mean anything. It might, I might be wrong. You know, I, I think JD written on it is Judgment Day. I don't think, I don't, see, when... When the White Rabbit stuff was going on and there were clues to what was going to happen next, from a narrative point of view, it was because Bray Wyatt was telling us what was going to happen next. If you're putting a skull with a Rey Mysterio mask on it and then you write JD on a crate because you're telling the audience that JD McDonough is going to replace Dom in the Judgment Day, well, who's telling us that? Because if it's just the writers putting Easter eggs in so you know what's going to happen next. Well, you're just telling us that this is fake. Like, you're, you're, you're completely disrupting the suspension of disbelief. So that doesn't make sense to me. Unless J.D. McDonough is, like, the idea is that he tagged it J.D. and he put the mask on the skull because he's trying to tell you that he is going to attack Dom then maybe, but I also don't think that, I think that, yeah, that would be dumb. It would be not Dom Dom, it would be Dumb Dumb because Dominic Mysterio is my favorite wrestler in WWE, but the idea of him being a babyface is insane right now. So, like, the idea of somebody attacking Dom and taking his place, Dom would have to be a babyface after that. Dom's whole character is the fact that he doesn't win matches on his own, and he's not very tough, and he thought 12 hours in a holding cell made him a hardened criminal. Rhea Ripley says that he eats chicken tenders no matter what restaurant he goes to. That's the only meal he likes. Now, as somebody that uh, is also of the chicken tender persuasion and agrees with Dom wholeheartedly, it's not a, a characteristic or a trait that people look at and go, oh, they're a great guy. All they eat is chicken fingers. They find that to be an annoying thing, which that's their perspective. You know, whatever. Then don't, then more chicken fingers for me. I don't care. Raising canes, it's, you know, I'll be there all day then. That's fine. But no, no, I would disagree with everything you said. Uh, Jay writes in, 
First time, long time. Real simple here. I feel SmackDown dropped the ball on drawing out the Shotzi versus Bailey story. If Shotzi was going to shave her head anyway, uh, why not made this a longer story ending in a hair versus hair match? This would have given another women's story that didn't involve a championship. Well, I think the idea was that, and I guess you could like, you could have Shotzi shave her head and then she goes crazy after that. But I think the idea was, number one, I think Shotzi wanted to shave her head that week. She wanted to shave her head right away. And number two, I think the idea was that Shotzi is shaving her own head. Now Bailey is afraid of her. Right? And I mean, maybe you could have Bailey shave her head. For a heel to win a hair versus hair match is rough. Right off the bat. Like hair versus hair is designed for a baby face to win. So that's a tough sell when a he for a baby face to lose hair versus hair and to keep any amount of fans is difficult. Not to say it's impossible, it's just difficult. Also, like, why would Bailey be afraid of Shotzi shaved head or not if she already beat her? Right? The idea was that Shotzi shaved her own head because she's like, uh oh unpredictable Shotzi, we all got to watch out for her. And Bailey started to get scared of Shotzi. So I think your version of this would have taken us in a completely other direction. I'm not saying it would have been a terrible direction. I'm just saying that you go, well, why would they do this instead of that? Because they wanted to get here instead of there. That's one of these things. Like, it's like, you could have just done this. Yeah, but if you did this, you'd have to do this and then this and then this and then this. They did that. So they could do that and then that and get us to that. We're not trying to do this. We're trying to do that. This is fine. We've decided on that. And more often than not, if you can just wrap your head around that, well, why didn't you do this? Because that works as well. And we wanted to do that. Okay. Um, Jeff writes in, uh, I'm a returning fan to pro wrestling. Love it. From the Attitude Era and a new fan for your show. Oh, Jeff, I hope you're going to buy some merch. NotSamShirts.com. I would like your thoughts on the current Shinsuke Nakamura, Seth Freakin' Rollins feud. I feel it's great to see WWE starting to have foreign superstars cutting promos in their native tongue. Nakamura feels more genuine and not as forced when he is cutting a live promo in English. The subtitle vignettes in Japanese work rated enhancing this feud, but the face-to-face -face promos fall a bit short due to the language barrier. What do you think about introducing a, a gimmicked translator manager who can fill the gaps in uh, for promo communication? Think it would enhance Nakamura or perhaps just steal his spotlight? P.S. I knew whose game it was when L.A. Knight told all those superstars in the back they could get their ticket punched. Yeah! Whose game is it? Um... I'm not against the idea of a translator. Um, although I don't, I like what they're, I like the pre-tapes with Nakamura. I think that, that Nakamura should be as silent as possible, right? Like I, I, I think that, because I see what you're saying, because the Nakamura pre-tapes are like incredible. With the subtitles and everything, they are incredible. The face-to-faces are not the same. If it were me, and he was like, come on, Shin, let's go right now. I would have Shinsuke come out. I would have him say, no. Like, I, I, he could speak in Japanese, but I would have, well, not even speak in Japanese. Have him come out, say, no. And then walk away. Turn his back 
and walk away. And then Seth freaks out. And then next week, the Shin promo will come out where he's explaining why he said no. I said no because the same way Shin whispered in Seth's ear something, we didn't know what it was. A week later, we get the Shin promo with all the captions, and it's brilliant. The back injury, the whole thing. Uh, I would probably not do a translator because Shin is like Michael Jackson out there. He's incredible. I wouldn't want anybody messing that up. But I would do way less Shinsuke talking and more like he just says no, lets it sit. It adds to the mystery of the magician that is Shinsuke Nakamura. And then a week later, he does a promo explaining what happened pre-taped with the subtitles. Nicholas uh, good morning, my tribal chief of podcasting. How are you doing? Better now that you've acknowledged me, quite frankly. Uh, an old thing, but for those who've never heard of it, could you please ask your audience to search Stone Cold E.T. on YouTube? Almost died from laughter the first time I saw it. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen Stone Cold E.T., what? Stone Cold E.T., I don't know where you've been. I was a big uh, proponent and supporter of uh, Stone Cold E.T. From, from way back. Stone Cold E.T. since day one over here. Uh, Ryan says the first year in the not Sam verse first email. Love that Ryan. Now that the judgment day, I hope you're buying merch. Now that the judgment day can be on both raw and SmackDown. Uh, I want to see John Cena mix it up with dirty Dom while Cena is here. I love that Cena against dirty Dom on the mic would be worth a ticket alone. What say you, how would you play Cena versus judgment day feud? Absolutely love it. Ryan, great suggestion. Dominic versus John Cena, I think would be awesome. Uh, I think that may be where you do your tag team thing. I'm still stuck on this idea of John Cena and LA Knight as a tag team. Maybe you do John Cena versus Dom, and then you do Cena and LA Knight versus the Judgment Day for the tag titles. Maybe maybe you do non-titles and have it be Dom and, and Finn or Dom and Priest or something like that. I don't know. But I love the idea of John Cena versus Dom Dom. Uh, Michael writes in, Hola, Sam. If you could book one of these five WWE matches, which are you picking? Okay, I'm not going to book it. But I'll tell you which one I will pick. Because it's like, it's too much when you guys email in and go, Hey, can you do a whole segment on this email? No. But Michael says he tried to keep the list short, so I appreciate that. Brock Lesnar versus Gunther. Charlotte versus Bianca. Braun Breaker versus Bobby Lashley, DIY versus Pretty Deadly, or the fabled Rock versus Roman. Okay. Um. Well, I'm not going to do Braun Breaker versus Bob Lashley because that's just big meaty men slapping meat. You don't need that. You don't need me for that. Rock versus Roman, you know, any of us could do Rock versus Roman, so I won't pick that one. Charlotte Flair versus... Mm? I would love I would love to set up a Charlotte Flair versus Bianca where Charlotte is the babyface and Bianca is the heel. And maybe that's just because I'm on one this week about Charlotte being a babyface and what I would do. But I would love the idea of Charlotte becoming a babyface and Bianca returning as a heel and Bianca being that supervillain that Charlotte has to take out even though she's lost her superpowers. Um, yes, I that's the one I would pick because I like a challenge. I would love the challenge of Charlotte Flair versus Bianca, babyface Charlotte versus heel Bianca. And now my wheels are spinning 
and I didn't want my wheels to be spinning, but still it was a good email because you got me on one. That, 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 that would be a lot of fun. I love challenges. That would be a great challenge. Sam Hope all is well. This is from Josh. The other day I saw a video comparing Tony Khan, who was scared for his life because of CM Punk, compared to Vince, who was taking insane bumps during the Attitude Hour. That sounds like a dumb YouTube video, to tell you the truth. Taking an F5 from Brock and highlights from his WrestleMania. There's a lot of stupid YouTube videos. Just be aware. And highlights from his WrestleMania match with HBK. With those recent headlines in AEW, do you think Tony should take a bigger role on TV? Not saying he needs to get involved in matches like Vince did. However, he could take on some on-screen villain role. No, I don't think that I... No, you know, I, I don't think... I don't think that's Tony's expertise. I don't know that he wants that. You know, I, I, I think Tony's got enough on his plate. I would not advocate. I would advocate for uh, an on-screen authority figure. I've always thought that Tony Schiavone should be taken off commentary, not because he's bad at commentary, but I think Tony Schiavone should be the on-screen GM of AEW and that Tony Schiavone should be an on-screen authority figure for AEW. And be fair, right? Not, you know, super gimmicky. But that, I, I, I think Tony Schiavone should be the on-screen gimmick voice of authority. Tony Khan only need to step up. But look, I mean, all this stuff. Like, Tony Khan saying he felt his life was threatened. You've got to understand. There's legalities involved. All right? Like, Tony saying fired for cause. Life, physical well-being felt threatened. A lawyer helped him with that, I would imagine. So, you know, I mean, do I think he called home? He called his mom and said, Mom, you would never believe it. I thought CM Punk was going to murder me with his bare hands. I don't think that he thought that. It's what he said. I understand. But it just sounds like a ridiculous YouTube video. I might watch it for entertainment. But uh, Clayton writes in, there was a backstage segment where Jay was told that because he's on Raw, someone's traded from Raw to SmackDown. Yes, I'm confused because uh, didn't Jay quit on the blue brand? Why would someone have to be traded if he quit SmackDown? I mean, that's a good point. That was 100% true. But he said he quit, right? Like, I guess if you want me to play devil's advocate, because you're not wrong. Technically, all Raw did was pick up a free agent. He didn't get traded from SmackDown to Raw. He quit WWE, and then Raw was like, hey, there's this wrestler that doesn't have a job. Let's sign him. So, you know, you're not wrong. I think that the answer would be, well, he was never released from his SmackDown contract. So SmackDown, he could say that he quits all he wants, but SmackDown wasn't going to release him. And so Raw was given the opportunity to take his contract over. I guess that would be the kayfabe answer to that. But... It's worth exploring. Not a, not, not, I'm not annoyed at that question. Not a bad question. Matt writes in, Sam, when Samoa Joe and MJF eventually wrestle, do you see Adam Cole throwing in the towel after Samoa Joe puts MJF in the coquina clutch? No. No, I don't. And I'll tell you why. I think, you're, I think Samoa Joe MJF is going to be your main event for the New York show. I think that AEW right now is very brilliantly, they've got three storylines going on at the same time, which is good. You've got MJF and Adam Cole. You've got MJF and Samoa Joe. You've got Adam Cole and Roderick Strong. So with all that going on, if MJ, if Adam Cole throws in the towel 
theoretically, MJF and Samoa Joe no longer have the beef. And Roderick Strong and Adam Cole haven't even explored their beef. I think it's too early for that move to be made. I think that there's still a lot of legs on the Adam Cole MJF thing. You could ask me again October 1st because I could see them doing a Samoa Joe MJF rematch at a pay-per-view. Um, and that'd be a huge pay-per-view if you've got if you've got Dan Brian Danielson versus Zack Saber Jr. and MJF versus Samoa Joe in the return match, that's a pretty big pay-per-view. But no, I don't see that in New York specifically. And I just think it's too I think it's too early. Chris in Denver, love the show. Now that Cena is back and Edge is on his way out, well, he's gone. Uh, how awesome would it be for them to renew a rivalry, but more along the lines of his match with Sheamus? One of my favorite, I mean, it'd be a good way for Edge to go out and it would be a big draw. No, it'd be great. I'd love to see Edge and John Cena have a match one more time, but Edge is already gone. Edge's contract's already up. So, you know, I would love for a lot of things to happen, but it doesn't mean they are, you know, I think Edge versus John Cena would be great, but. You know, I don't know. I don't see it happening. And I'm more also of the school of thought that I'd like to see, like, new matches. I don't like to need to see every rivalry get renewed. I, I want to see, like, like Edge versus LA Knight. You know, I want to see an ultimate opportunist come out and, and try to destroy LA Knight. That's what I would rather see. Uh, Joshua writes in, Love the podcast, started listening maybe two months back, and now a faithful listener. I appreciate you. Watched wrestling back in the 2010s, fell off, and now watching the product all around. That's what you have to do, baby. It's on the sleeve. You can get it on your sleeve, too. If you go to notsamshirts.com, watch the product. My question is, where do you think the line is for incorporating real-life drama into storylines? That's a good question. I'm thinking back to iconic storylines that may have crossed the line. Edge, Lita, Matt Hardy, Kurt Angle's divorce, Randy Orton telling Rey Mysterio that Edge was looking up at him from hell. Uh, Eddie Guerrero was looking up at him from hell. Uh, I say this in lieu of CM Punk firing. I was honestly surprised when Punk got fired. In my fantasy booking, I don't fire the biggest draw, but I begin a heel run. I would too, unless he keeps getting into fights with people. Uh, it's Punk versus the whole locker room. Look, here's the thing. Um... I'm all for turning real-life drama into storyline, but everybody has to be on the same page. This is a, a, a weird, risky, live thing that wrestling is. Everybody has to be on the same page, and if everybody's not on the same page, you can't do it. And if you can't get everybody on the same page, then I don't know. I don't know. Right? You, then you've got to nip it in the bud before it starts. Um, I, The Jungle Boy thing, I think, is troublesome because real-life drama or not, like... CM Punk versus any of the elite, that's a big deal. CM Punk versus Jungle Boy, it's like, okay, you know, what, what are we doing? Uh, just the, and also, if, if you get, if you, if Jungle Boy gets a main event out of, you know, going rogue and going into business for himself, then you've got a bigger problem because other people who shouldn't be in a main event with CM Punk are just going to try to get under his skin so he gets in a fight with him in a locker room so they get to a main event at a pay-per-view. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I, I, I think that, that, I think that it should be rare because what it shouldn't do is it shouldn't lead to people going into business for themselves. That's a that's a bad, that's a real problem for a wrestling organization when people go into business for themselves. And if you if you harbor 
this idea of we're going to make real life drama into storylines, then you are going to end up with people going into business for themselves trying to get a better spot. That said, if there is an issue that fans perceive to be real, I do think that you should cash in on those and go, yeah, as long as everybody's on the same page. Um, Jared writes in, night one WrestleMania main event, Seth Rollins versus CM Punk. That's the email. Um, yeah, it'd be great, you know, but so would Seth Rollins versus Gunther, honestly, right? I mean, wrestling, there's a lot of new wrestling fans, dude. WWE is in a very interesting spot. I went to a live show on, on Saturday. The audience is full of kids, but the kids and the adults are rooting for the same thing for like the first time, maybe ever. Could I tell you that the audience that watches WWE wouldn't rather see Seth Rollins versus Gunther? I, I can't say they wouldn't. Nick writes in, love the show, listen every week. I hope you subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash wrestling. My question or speculation, you should be speculating wildly. It is our second tenant. Is since Cody pulled strings to get Jay to Raw, do you think there'll be a tr the trade will be made where Cody has the SmackDown? We already discussed this. Come on, dude. We already discussed it. Cornelius, the way you fantasy booked Cena, Cody, and Bloodline, wow. Awesome, GOAT. I appreciate you for acknowledging me. You're the man. Sal writes in, amazing podcast. When do you see Gunther's Intercontinental title reign ending into who? We talked about it earlier. Appreciate you, though, dude. Uh, Jonathan uh, writes in, long-time listener, first-time email. Is there any way, hope you are buying merch. Is there any way we could get Sam Roberts versus Greg Miller at WrestleMania 40? I will tell you right now that I'll bet we could get it booked. I'll bet WWE would be into it. Don't know if it'd be on night one or night two. But I think that in a physical confrontation, Greg Miller would run for the hills. Because it'd be great. You know what it would be? It'd be game over for Greggy if he and I met in fisticuffs. Okay? And I don't mean to get so tough here. But sometimes you got to. Josh writes in, uh, we saw Priest get a personalized Money in the Bank briefcase from Finn's longtime buddy, JD. What if Priest goes to cash in after Nakamura beats down Seth or actually beats Seth to only to find out the contract is in the old green briefcase? What is Priest an idiot? JD sneaks up, takes out Priest, comes out with Finn with the green briefcase and cashes in. That would be the dumbest thing. Josh, that is one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard. Do you understand if if Damian Priest cashed in that briefcase and beat the world champion, and then Adam Pierce just goes, yo, there's no contract in this briefcase because it's been months, weeks, months, whatever it is, and Damian Priest, because he'd be the one who would take the contract out of the green briefcase and put it in the purple briefcase. No, no. I would have to, I'd go like, here's the thing about Damian Priest, the wrestling character. He's an idiot. Who doesn't realize the contract is in or not in the case? No, no, Josh. Come on. Avic, how's this? Gunther loses the title to Jey Uso. Mm. Milestone Mania uh, at Mania, which seems to be the direction WWE are headed in for the IC title. Mm. 
I guess. I mean, the Bloodline saga with Jay is uh, not finished. So, you know, I, I, nah, I don't know. Milestone Mania is 10, 25, now 40. We'll have brother versus brother. But seeing this is going nowhere near the world title, I see the IC title has gained so much more respect. It will make the Uso match better. Oh, oh, that way we can have Uso versus Uso at Mania. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed a sentence there, Avik. Um, thanks. And who is your favorite Ninja Turtle? You guys will think I'm a dork. Leonardo is my favorite Ninja Turtle. I was always a Leonardo guy. Uh, Jay Uso beats Gunther. Jimmy challenges Jay for the Intercontinental title. Okay, it's not, I'm not as against that as I was originally. Okay. Uh, this will be the last email. Ooh. He sent me a picture. Who's this from? Uh, Steve sent me a picture of an action figure setup. Hell in a Cell style. Kevin Owens, Ricochet. I'm assuming this is a child's. They're all basic figures, but it looks awesome. I want to thank you for helping us mourn Bray properly. Oh, I appreciate that, man. I think putting him in the Hall of Fame should be done this year. Definitely, as I said last week, whole Wyatt family in the Hall of Fame. Judgment Day was already draped in gold, but I couldn't help but hope for a cash-in at the end of the Payback Premium Live event. Do you think WWE missed an opportunity to put Judgment Day in the ultimate spotlight? No, I do not. I think they line up nicely for a War Games match, but with who? I already went over that. I do not think WWE missed the opportunity. WWE already has the Judgment Day draped in gold. The story already is that they're draped in gold. They don't need the title right now. And there's another story with Shinsuke Nakamura and Seth Rollins. So you'd be adding a title to the Judgment Day without changing their story and sacrificing the Seth Rollins-Shinsuke story. I'd rather have two stories than one story. Also, booking wildly. Oh, we got wild speculation. A CM Punk return at Survivor Series in Chicago after a Roman victory, lights go out. I'm not going to do all this, dude. I hope you like my Bray Wyatt figure tribute I posted above. I do like that. I do like that a lot. It's awesome. The Wyatt family just standing over everybody. I'm going to go to a different email, though, because I feel like that didn't go as well. Uh, okay, Daniel Dunk. Uh, I'm not going to read his last name. Daniel, <laughs> I pretty much did. Daniel, uh... I don't know how much you keep an eye up on Ring of Honor's weekly programming, but Blake Christensen or Blake Christian has been on more lately. I think him versus Samoa Joe could be a really cool match if they let Blake use his usual cocky attitude from GCW. It could be a good feud even, maybe starting with a proving ground match versus Joe. Love the show. Never stop. I never will stop. I'd love to see Blake Christian. Uh, I'd love to see him uh, get a bigger spot. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. I think his GCW stuff is great. Um, and he's got a ton of potential. And he's a good athlete, good superstar, good uh, good pro wrestler, as it was. Appreciate all you guys. Uh, jump on there and uh, get that merch at notsamshirts.com. And, uh, oh, and if you haven't listened already, if you're not subscribed to the podcast or the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling, you, maybe you don't know, but last week we dropped another secondary bonus pod, Not Sam Wrestling with Comedians. Great comic, Ian Lara, was in uh, the Not Sam studio with me, just having an awesome wrestling conversation. So if that sounds up your alley, uh, definitely check it out because I think that you'll really enjoy it. If you want more wrestling content right now, you haven't listened or watched that, check that out, and we'll see you again.